Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. I am so excited to tell you that InvestSmart and Intelligent Investor are long-term sponsors of this podcast. And here's something I want to tell you about. The Intelligent Investor Select Value Fund is a unique mix of global leaders and homegrown small caps poised for long-term growth. The portfolio manager is Nathan Bell, a talented investor you may have heard on the Rust Network multiple times. The Select Value Fund is designed for investors seeking international diversification and Aussie companies with superior financial metrics. You can invest today at intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. That's intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Andrew, Meredith, we are recording. The date is the 29th of June. This is a Thursday recording ahead of a Saturday. I know, weird, that you will be (laughs) listening to this on the 30th, and we recorded it two days ago. Where are we now? The 1st of July. It'll go live. Oh, yeah. So that means that they're they're listening. Everyone listening to this is in the next year. Exactly. In a financial advisor's world, it's next year. Wow. It's like when you After fly what, from like end of financial year party, LA just, to like Sydney on the, New Year's. The day changes. Wow. Incredible stuff. Anyway, we're here for two cents on the Australian Investors Podcast. Last week was a very popular episode. I think it's because Prometicus was in the title, but maybe it was because it was the final, it was a, a, a coming to Jesus moment for Dr. Andrew Derrimuth. It was a popular, when he embraced, popular episode. Yeah, it was. I know. Because I think it was like the day that the entire Australian Investors Podcast listener base realized that Dr. Andrew Derrimuth may actually be flawed. <laughs> admitted, but, admitted my but errors have, and mistakes. We have news this week that we'll get massive to in just a news, moment. Massive news. Massive news. Incredible news. Changes the game. And we are here with Drew Meredith. And you're listening to Owen on the Australian Investors Podcast. You've never said my own name. That's weird. Um, and we're going to be answering your questions. We've got an update about what the RBA has been thinking about. Uh, Dr. Drew Meredith. I mean, sorry, Dr. Andrew Derriman. Not a doctor. Uh, not a doctor. Esquire. will be uh, potentially, allegedly, uh, appointed the new RBA <laughs> boss. The big man. I don't have enough PhDs. Won't have any, won't have any clout, apparently, under Esquire's the new structure gonna, when it comes to picking interest rates. Esquire is not going to cut it. <laughs> Esquire is not going to cut it. You need a CFA. We've got CFP. None of them have CFAs. They've all got multiple PhDs. Can't say CFAs. Yeah. Ethics breach. I'll report you to the Institute. <laughs> Sounds like a cult. Sounds like happy, shiny people off Netflix. Anyway, what have you been working on? A lot. Oh. Keeping track oh. of uh, what's going on in the economy, running into the end of financial year, which has been a kind of crazy period for everyone. Pension payment, you know, a lot of retired mm. clients. So pension payment, super contributions. You can now contribute up to 75, uh, working on a team with all those sort of sort of things. And then naturally keeping up with 
what's going on in markets and the economy. How do you uh, keep track of like what is coming in on July 1st? Like, do, you, do you refer to like the Black Book or something like that? That's a book that exists. It's like a digital thing nowadays. Um, but where do you, how do you keep up to date with it? I think it's a combination of things. So we have the publication that we that we run in-house as well, which Inside helps. Advisor. Yeah, so you're always close to that data and new legislation that's coming out. Um, in terms of tax changes and that's something it's all highly uh you know you subscribe to the right newsletters you're filtering through your emails and making sure it's there um and the black book yeah i've seen a few macquarie black books on desks uh lately as well for everyone that's basically all the most important tax rates and and contribution rates for the entire financial system yeah yeah so it's a book put out by macquarie uh, anyone can access it so online and it just has like all the numbers there is another book do you, do you subscribe to the Master Financial Planning Guide? Historically, yes, yeah. but so much of it's available online and through our own resources. And uh, we also do continuing yeah. professional development, as you'd know. Yep. So making sure you've got all your points. Part of that is keeping up with regulatory changes as well. Yep. Yeah, I actually like that book. It got me through my Masters of Financial Planning, actually. Yeah. I reckon that's the best book on financial planning that I've come across. Because it's so covers everything. covers yeah. everything. Uh, I get the team to read it, even though then. Obviously, they're not, not financial planners, uh, because it just gives you such a good grounding in like what actually happens: tax, super, investments. Um, there's a whole heap of stuff you don't need, like if you're not in that zone, like pensions and secu- social security and stuff. And we've got a great team and a growing team that yeah. work with us as well. So Renato, Fatuma, Rashana, are all, all across all that regulation mm. every day, living, in, living and breathing it. Mm. So big changes though in financial financial planning. I'm not sure if we mentioned on here. Maybe we did a few weeks ago that affordability might be set to improve in the next few years. Yeah, thanks to the uh, just one slight mm. reduction in red tape, where people where you don't have to get multiple signatures to do the same thing every year. Exactly, one signature signing off on a fee rather than at at times six to eight signatures. Yeah, crazy. It's crazy, and then they and it's lost in the mail when they're um, in Zug. Uh, getting a back massage and you're here in Australia thinking, where are these people? Why haven't they signed the portfolio <laughs> documents? You can imagine how I just got an email while we're off air about sending DocuSign to someone that we have seven-year-old clients who don't want to use DocuSign. Yeah. So you have to physically get documents signed with Australia Post these days within a reasonable, like a short period of time and they might be traveling. So all those things that kind of weren't necessarily appreciated when the legislation came in and that's why the cost of financial advice doubled yeah. in that period. It must be hard for you as a financial advisor because you're like December 2022, you're like, I don't know if this was advice you gave to clients, probably not just here on the Investors Podcast because we're a lower um, class of human. Where are the economy <laughs> seats and Waddle Partners are up in the business and first class or even private jets. Um, but We don't have a private jet. <laughs> Never flown private. <laughs> Uh, I wonder what that would cost, though. Um, but anyway, so, so you were like, so I'd imagine it'd be hard for you because you're on like, in just December, you're like, oh, the FANG, you know, ETF looks really interesting. Big cap US looks like it's going to have a really good year because of X, Y, Z. But if you've got to then- Literally no one thought that. Yeah, so contrary. But then if you, for example, have to get someone to sign a document, you can't make portfolio changes. Exactly. And they might still not have got that document back to you. Exactly. It's, so what do you do? So we're non-discretionary. That's an important point to point out. Uh, a point, important issue to point out that we, as a firm, cannot have do not have discretion. We can't trade without our client's authority. That could be email or uh, phone or via DocuSign, uh, and it's just about following up and process. So most every client we have gets that advice on a quarterly basis. So there's a formal process, and they expect that to come. So it helps to ensure that they're aware that it's coming, and then making it easy and, and having a good team that we're the, to the point that we can follow these things up 
quickly and efficiently. And if they haven't responded in a week, two weeks, three weeks, we know and can yeah. follow them up. But what but happens, that's the risk. What happens, for example, if in December you were like, okay, the upcoming portfolio change on January 1st is X. We're, we're putting 4% in FANG yeah. and they don't get back to you. They're on holidays. They're overseas. They're whatever. They miss out. Well, then, yeah. And the thing is, <laughs> I'd imagine some of them blame you for that. I don't. I mean, that's the the point of having a a an online process and a clear and transparent process about why and when we're recommending things, uh, and then pass. You obviously have to pass the onus onto them. But we are acutely aware of this, and we are building options for people who are uh, who who do not want that sort of involvement to the like an SMA as we've yeah. spoken about in the past. Yeah, where we are able to execute those decisions the same way we run our own model portfolio. So yeah. if we say we're going to buy a thing, we'll add it to our model and record that. Uh, that's yep. the way we track performance internally, uh, and it just allows that to be that to happen. That's more suited to people who where they've been with us for an extended period of time and they trust everything we do. Mm. Um, but it, it is an option, and that's a clear benefit of it. That there is so much lat, lat you can lose a lot of performance by not executing quickly. Yeah, that's a key benefit of discretion. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Not that we trade fangs or things like that. Fangs. That often. Fang. Yeah. Uh, and Fang is an ETF. It's not the thing at the front of a snake. Um, so uh, topical things this week, Westpac and uh, ABS data has come out and it's pointed to what Dr. Andrew Derrimuth, ex-squire, exceptional, has been pointing to for a long time, albeit he was sometimes Way it's hard to know if you're early or wrong. Maybe both. Inflation below expectations. Well below. Well below. But still high. In May, the headline index declined, says Westpac IQ, by 0.4% compared to our forecast of a 0.1% gain. That's a 0.5% reversal, if I'm Significant. thinking correctly. They go on to say, we assume the market medium would have, would have matched our own given the same 6.1% per year forecast. So this represents a partial unwind of April 0.8% gain, bringing the annual pace down from 6.8% to 56 well off the December peak of 8.4%. But, Drew, if we go seasonally adjusted and exclude a bunch of crap, um, about to, I was about seems, to say something. Seems appropriate. <laughs> but they do. Like this, the headline figures and whatever, they exclude holiday travel because there's a massive fall in holiday travel and price. But an increase in shelters. Yes. Rent was gone. The, the, I mean, the big question is, as it always is, there's a very blunt tool, interest rates, that only impacts a certain cohort of people, the ones that have mortgages. Mm. So it does it's not slowing people who need rent, need rental properties, who don't have mortgages from spending, but the higher cost of rent is. And it's different levers in different areas. Yeah. So, so it's so blunt. Wait, so what you're saying is it's impacting the wrong people potentially? It's only impacting people who have mortgages. And that's not everyone, as we've talked about in the past. Yeah, but the... That's where everyone else is spending. Fiscal stimulus. Like we just did the Australian Finance Podcast and we all said we should spend money, spend our all tax return, did, yeah. uh, not save it, so... Yeah. I was put in towards my boat fund. <laughs> Speaking of boats, we're going on the road. Uh, the Rask Roadshow. Get your tickets. You'll probably hear some ads on the Australian Investors Podcast over the next few months. That's because we're going to Townsville... Um, they have great uh, hamburgers there in Townsville, I'm told. Uh, in Perth, the uh, they do some good grapes, good surf, good weather, says Drew. Best weather in Australia, he says. Close to. Yeah, Perth, Adelaide, love your uh, Shiraz. Um, I think that's where Pepper Jack's from. I prefer the Pinot. Oh, Adelaide, it was Pinot. 
I love McLaren. Is it McLaren Vale? Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's probably, I reckon, uh, you know, for someone who's from the Yarra Valley, I can tell you that that's the, I reckon that's the best wine region. Anyway, uh, we'll be in Trevelgan, Wangaratta, Sydney, Newcastle, Port Macquarie. Sold bugger all tickets for Port Macquarie, so please help us out. <laughs> tell your friends, bring your colleagues, bring we're your loved ones. We're going for the fishing. <laughs> yeah, we're going for the fishing. Dolphin fish, Kate gave me a Hold it on the boat. Uh, Queensland, uh, we are going to Gold Coast, Brisbane. Uh, and I'm sure I've forgotten some places. But anyway, Sydney, it's going to be huge. We're, over a thousand people will be attending the Rask Roadshow this year. Uh, there is no Canberra, I am sorry. Uh, uh, there is no Melbourne because there is a Waddle Partners retirement event on the 26th yes, of October. Yes. Of October. So that will be taking place on the 26th of October. If you are over the age of towards retirement, um, Get along to the Waddle Partners event. That one's free. The Rass Road Show is 40 yes. bucks. You'll be able to hear from myself, Drew, Kate, the whole Rass family, our podcast hosts, experts from GlobalX, Magellan, Insert, whoever you probably hear on the show will probably make an appearance at some point along the Rass Road Show. So that is not about boats, but we go back to inflation, Drew. Um, There's now some that, interesting now that, stats here. Yeah, now, now give us some stats. Give us some stats. And does this mean that your prediction is still live? Yes. Remember that Drew's prediction is that, oh, sorry, Andrew's prediction <laughs> is that interest rates could fall and in, in 2023. In the case of Drew Meredith, the financial advisor. Financial advisor, go for it. My portfolios aren't built solely on the premise that interest rates will fall. <laughs> they're, they're diversified for multiple outcomes. Doesn't have as much conviction, the old, the old <laughs> Drew, Drew Meredith. Meredith. <laughs> bit, bit of <laughs> lame duck Drew Meredith. <laughs> Esquire's going way off. <laughs> I mean, there's a big that question here is what is a, there's every, there's so many predictions now that we're going to have a recession and it makes complete sense. What does a recession mean for you and I, for people who are listening to the economy, to the coffee shops, to the business owners? That's the big question. Uh, and we'll do a buy, sell, hold on, I think equity markets, or I've made one up for myself, for, for you this time. Yes. Uh, but there were stats like 40% of borrowers, I think it was from uh, old mate, Chris Joy. Joy Joy. Joy. Yep. Yeah. 40% of borrowers who took, took mortgages since 2021 could be underwater on their monthly budget. The lowest mortgage you can find at the moment is 5.44%. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not advice. 5.44%. Someone else, quoting someone else here. Uh, and business collapses came out this week. So the highest monthly number of businesses going into administration or insolvency since 2015. Uh, so 868 last month, and it's spreading well beyond only property companies, which we kind of understand, property mm. development, single asset companies, but a broader range of companies are falling off post the pandemic. So there's a pain, more and more pain coming through. And then uh, I saw globally, corporate defaults are the highest since they've been since 2010 as well. So interest, this is the this is what interest rates are supposed to do, not necessarily send people broke, but cut slow spending down. and slow the economy and force it into a recession. The problem is it's like an elephant on very thin ice. Yeah. Sometimes you just plunge straight through. Sorry, I'm a bit far away from the microphone. Um, but sometimes we don't know how thin the ice is exactly. until we've already fallen is in. The, the uh, hoped for soft landing yeah. where, where the elephant tiptoes across <laughs> the ice and the alternative, there's multiple actually, there's the hard landing where it just falls straight through. Yep. And that's where you have a deep recession. Unemployment goes up to 6 or 7% or even yep. higher. Yep. And it's hard to get out of. Yep. Uh, so everyone's hoping for a soft landing, but given how fast we've increased interest rates, you don't know. But then recessions, I think, was there a question this week about, maybe it was last week, about how you, in, how you invest for a recession? Yeah, that was a couple of weeks ago, I think, yeah. about companies and like 
there was about a payment company, so yeah. smart pay, about like you want companies, would that be a play on pricing power? Pricing power and all yeah. that sort of stuff, yeah. And I think it's a reminder that the market isn't isn't the economy. Yeah. Even in Australia. Maybe Australia's a bit more cyclical. Yeah. And because we have so many banks and resources, it's more representative of the economy. But something like the S and P five hundred, the biggest stock market in the world, is not a reflection of what's going on in the rest of the world in the in in small town or big town USA. Mm. Yeah, that's. I think that's such a good line. I th- can't remember the phrase. It was old mate Buffet that said it, but um, yeah, the, the market is not the economy. Um, and it's the idea that, you know, uh, the stock market can go up even when things are going south in the economy. And that's what we've seen recently. And we'll do that in just a sec. But um, yeah, I mean, th- I think what we're starting to see is we, we talk about that ha- inflation coming down, but we're starting to see some of those r- numbers now start to hurt the companies. Yes. Um, and you can see that. In fact, there was, uh, we haven't aired the podcast yet. Michael Kemp came on and uh, talked a little bit about Collins Foods. Um, and he'll be on the podcast soon. We recorded a couple of weeks ago, but Collins Foods, the owner of KFC franchises in Australia, came out and said, you know, pretty good results, pretty robust, but inflation is eating away. And they are mindful of that. Same with Metcash. Metcash came out, top line, you know, all across the board, pretty good through Mitre 10 and their liquor and all that. They own IGA and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it was up high single digits, 8 or 9%. And so, yeah, wholesale price inflation at Metcash, IGA was 62 but the revenue gain was 7.8. Exactly. So revenue only grew by 1.6%. Yeah, corporates causing inflation. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> when they- <laughs> It's actually lower than the old inflation rate, was it? <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. So actually, so much for that academic study. Um, and so there's a lot of these businesses that are starting to see it. Like they've stomached... Um, if I'm not mistaken, old mate also said that it's like a pig going through a snake or a snake swallowing a pig. <laughs> pig swallow a snake. <laughs> yeah, imagine a pig swallowing a snake. <laughs> Whatever then. It wouldn't, it wouldn't touch the sides. It'd be fine. <laughs> It'd be fine. Anyway, um, but a, a snake, snake swallow, swallowing a pig. Swallowing a pig yeah. um, because <laughs> it's worth bowl analogy, I guess, because we are seeing that some of the, like the ASX is now swallowing the inflation that was last year and yeah. they're starting to try and lap those results and they're struggling. And now they're saying, well, if this continues, we're going to struggle again. And that was indeed the kind of rhetoric that came out of Metcash. Um, a few other updates from the ASX. Uh, Transverban looking to control the rest of Australia that it doesn't already control. ACCC has said, hold on a second. And we'll go into deliberation and probably get over the line anyway. Uh, and then what else was there? Medibank has been forced to increase its reserves uh, after the cyber attack. Basically, APRA's come in and said, APRA, sorry, I'm thinking, APRA. I'm thinking of you know the health board <laughs> guild. Uh, APRA's come in and said that, uh, hold on a second, Medibank, uh, you need to increase your buffer because we're worried that you're going to have to pay out a lot for this, this cy- massive cyber breach that you had. Uh, and so... Um, they, they think they're fine. They think they're well-placed to deal with that. Uh, they said they take uh, something to the effect of they take cybersecurity very seriously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah. Best time to fly, Drew. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, what else? That's about it, really. So I've got a quick uh, over-under for you, if you want to yeah, go okay, there. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's jump to it. I need to get my notes out. I had to keep them away from your notes so you didn't know the answers before you got them. Mm-hmm. So we've got an over-under of financial year performance. Yes, it won't be quite accurate because we're recording on the 29th. Okay. I'll be two days short of full financial year returns. Uh, I'd like to say that, where do we start? The S&P 500 
financial year return. And I'll just note here that... I'm not chucking this in Google, by the way. That's right. My notes uh, that had the answers to these actually... Oh, here we go. I thought they were lost. <laughs> okay, we're off to a good start. So you're going to give me... Over or under? So you're going to give me what, an what? index... Ret- you're going to give me an index and a return, and then I have to say over or under. If I don't... If I remember correctly, the last time you gave me over or under, they're within like 0.5%. Yeah, I made them I- a bit broader this time. I'm <laughs> okay, trying to help you out st- Sorry. <laughs> I just always stitched myself up and I didn't have the answers and I had to guess. And okay. no one wants to see that. So here we go. Okay, go. They're all going to be very similar. So it's over or under the S&P 500 for the financial year to date, almost the full financial year. Is it over or under 10%? S&P 500. Yep. Over. Correct. It was 16. The ASX 200, over or under 10%. Question. Over under ten percent. Yeah, under. Is that in dividends? It's actually a draw. Oh, it's like I'm going to flip the heads fifty times. How many of the not small heads ordinaries? Over under five percent. Way under, I'd say. It's a draw. Oh. <laughs> See, I told you it wouldn't make them perfect. Okay. The is a good one for you. The Nikkei over under ten percent. Over. Yes, the Nikkei had a smashing year, 26% for the financial year. Yeah, crazy. They're yeah, huge. Showing diversification, the benefit of diversification. Uh, and finally, the NASDAQ, which should be able to answer this one, over or under 20%. Well, f- over. Correct, 23%. So the Nikkei outperformed the NASDAQ this over, over the, the financial, financial year. year. Okay, what, what about FANG? What's FANG doing last year? I'll just go last year. Um, let's get this up really quickly. Okay, I'll give you over under Fang the last year. It's 12 months of Fang. Globex is a sponsor of the RAS podcast, FYI, but that's not what we're talking about. It. Um, over or under 50%? Under. <sighs> you son of a 49.49% at the time of recording. Well done. Credit to me. Credit to you. But in two days, it's up, could be up. <laughs> yeah, it's up 75% this, this year to date. So uh, yeah. I couldn't have been there for the financial year to date because I know how far it tanked last year. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple of other interesting things I thought we could uh, to bring up as well. Yeah, go for it. So uh, looking more broadly, everyone likes to get to the end of financial year and do some prognostications about the rest of the year. Yeah. Who doesn't love a good forecast? And we talk about emerging markets, Australia. Uh, my question to you is, what's the best country to invest in in the next 12 months, 18 months. You could just say the US. Country. Yeah. Not index. Not in, You could say a country index, a benchmark in that country. Oh. <laughs> I would say... You don't so like, if we're just you keeping, like, like, we're just keeping like big... No, no, yeah. we like, we're just keeping it big. I would say Australia, small Australia. caps. Small caps Australia. Yeah, small caps Australia. I'm going India. Yeah? And India's ready to... Been, been doing quite well. Is that because Modi's been like doing the rounds or whatever his name is? I think he always is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, you just, I think the the settings and and the what's going the rest of the world at the moment, uh, I think emerging markets are starting to stand out again. And obviously depends on what happens a lot with the currency as well. Yeah. The other one was your most attractive theme. We talk about thematics and ETFs a lot. And AI has had an incredible run this year. Anything to do with AI and semis. Uh, semiconductors. Is there a theme you think will be the most powerful over the next 12 months? You really don't like being questioned. No, I do. But I think, I'm just trying to think, because I haven't thought about these in advance. A theme. Like energy? Just, equ- just equities. energy, oil, nuclear? I would say- Renewables, carbon. 
See, Water, I would norm in, agriculture. I would have said, like, if you asked me maybe a month or two ago, I would probably say like just pure technology, kind of like a Nasdaq, but maybe a bit more pure quality. Focus. Yeah, like a quality as a factor. But I would say, to be honest, I'll probably say, I'll probably still say quality. To be honest, as a yeah. factor. So, however you wanted to express quality, that, pricing like, power. I'd probably say global quality as a more powerful factor than say, um, like Aussie quality, because Aussie quality is not really Aussie, like Aussie equity. Still cyclical quality. Yeah, and you end up with like BHPs and that sort of crap, which is still a good business, but it's not what I think of when I think of quality. So I think if you went with a global quality business, a global quality index, the problem is you're probably going to get some of that uh, momentum in there from the AI crowd, which I don't. I think it's a bit hypey at the moment. Yep. This is famous last words. Twelve months from now, but like, AI, AI was really undervalued. Uh, but I think there's potential that AI is a bit of a hype right now, and you just end up with quality stocks. I, yeah. In fact, I think that is the way you have to play it. Yeah. So, I would say quality. Um, you could get that through the Nasdaq. You could get that through the S and P five hundred. You could get it through like the Qual ETF or is it QLTY from BetaShares, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anything, even like a more active, you maybe go like a Munro type thing, Munro Partners, they're more Disruptive technology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. How about you, theme? I didn't think of this before I asked the question. So oh. uh, I think one of the standouts at the moment would have to be smaller, global, smaller companies. Yeah. Like that second tier that has fallen off heavily. Yep. And it probably depends on how, the, how bad any recession is. If a recession is shallower than we expect yep. and spending remains resilient, I think that small cap sector could be a big theme for the next 12 months. I reckon that, um, you know, you look at uh, small cap managers, global small cap managers like Ausbill, um, Fairlight, Fairlight, those types of names. I've been looking at those recently and I feel like Ben, is it Ben Long? Do they global smalls? Pretty sure. Could be wrong. Um, I reckon if you look at those, I reckon those types of investors will do well over the next two to three years because you get the, you've got the compression of small caps being tossed out over the past two years with the rise of rates. Yep. But then you also have the ability to sift through the quality where there's more asymmetry. Gosh, we're using some words. <laughs> and um, you could find managers who will do well over the next three years because they have uh, – they're basically – like sifting through the crap that's been thrown out but there might be yeah yeah. there might be one or two that are just like wow this is incredible what we would say in Australia is like a pretty large cap they're going to turn over and they're going to be like well there's only three analysts covering this 10 billion dollar company yeah I'll have a look at that yeah you know I think that's a good opportunity so I kind of agree with you there definitely so it's interesting that I said Australia small caps right and then you say global small caps theme there uh, we're value investors and quality clearly. as well we're both kind of on the quality bent India's a bit of a different one when it comes to quality <laughs> I'd tell you because there's a bit in the, the numbers there but um, interesting that's a good question I like that hypothetical I, and in fact if you are listening to this and you like those types of questions I love those types of questions because it makes you really apply like more. multiple lenses and to talk it. about your the way expand on the way you think a little yeah yeah good one I like it um, okay so should we get to some questions or do we have anything else I did have, if you had to pick one thing to watch out for in the second half of 2024, investment related. I've got five if you need a backup. Oh. But if you wanted one, if you had one thing to watch out for, I can tell you what my- You tell me yours first and I'll tell you if I agree with some of them or not. One of mine would be valuations of unlisted assets. Oh, yeah, that's cooked. And number two would be floating rate Would you include securities. office property in that? Yeah, so office property, infrastructure, anything unlisted, infrastructure, property, not every property, let's be clear, private equity, venture capital- 
all these things that are valued quarterly or, or less regularly. I think in the next six, like end of financial year, you're always going to see some real independent valuations occurring as they have to. Uh, and you've seen some within the property sector already where they've done five or 6% devaluations on the ASX anyway. Yep. I think that's where there's risk, but it's not risk across the board. We'll be clear on that, that, that it is very specific to different individual assets. Yep. Um, okay. I Would you say office property is right on the pointy end of that unlisted? Yes. Yeah. And they've, had, they've, they've been hurt. They've been hurt. Definitely. And I think there's more than just one trend of going to impact those. And you're seeing more and more properties uh, recently selling at 10 to 15% discounts to their book value from super funds, from property managers. So I have to kind of unwind some of those cap rates. They're crazy. Um, D- don't have to be negative, though. <laughs> Next. That. Oh, another one? Yeah, the other one I had was basically... There's, it seems like every the end of every year is a prediction of what's going to do well. Like in December last year, not a single person predicted that growth and tech would take off like it has and the NASDAQ would do 37%. Yep. FANG would do 75% in six months. Telstra would be at all-time highs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like no, literally no one <laughs> predicted that. But every year we still get the same prediction. So everyone predicted this time last year the value investing cyclicals would do well, but we've actually had the opposite where energy hasn't done too bad. Materials mm-hmm. have struggled, but tech's done incredibly well. Uh, I think there's this story between floating and fixed rate bonds and investments at the same time, which you've you've addressed before. So everyone thinks that f- floating rate is is better because you're getting resets to interest rates, but it only is it's only better while those interest rates are going up. And even in the UK where you had another rate hike, long-term interest rates actually fell after that rate hike came through, which is telling you that, uh, one, they're nat- people are naturally expecting a recession. The rate cuts will come eventually, not saying when they'll come. But I thought it was 2023. Those, oh, sorry, sorry. You're talking about Drew. Sorry, UK. It's oh, the okay. UK. Right, right. So, yeah, Derriman doesn't <laughs> operate. That's outside his remit. There could be more wrong, sir. <laughs> his cousin, uh, Ronald Derriman. <laughs> <laughs> But there's a risk that you get the, the rollover of these floating rates that they actually start resetting down. Yeah. And your income from those falls where fixed rates, so oh, getting the blend yeah. of both is incredibly important. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't, I would be, if I was in that situation, I'd be more leaning away from floating rates right now if I'm thinking about positioning a portfolio, which I am. I'm thinking about shifting away from floating rates yep. and back into long duration. I think that shift is something that has to happen. Because unless, I think, you don't think yes or no, you don't think binaries, right? And you do this, but people that are listening, you have to think about it like it's a continuum. Like if you have 30% of your portfolio in low risk assets, it's not all in one thing. Exactly. If you, if you imagine, oh gosh, I can just imagine someone's listening. It's like, what do you mean? The interest rate's going to fall this year. <laughs> Shouldn't be laughing. Um, but- reality is like you have you do these things very slowly and you think probabilistically so what is the probability that interest rates start to fall um and then position accordingly that's all we're taught in cfa the most powerful thing is the law of expected returns which is what's the probability of an event and what's the payoff from that event what's the probability of that event and the payoff from that event it's just expected returns um and that's how you make decisions okay uh what was the next one so i kind of agree with you on that one I had five. Yeah, so I think your next one. I've got your notes right in front of me. Oh, that's good. <clighs> it's 60-40 is dead. Yeah, I mean, we always have one bad year and they tell you the 40-60 portfolio is dead. I think one of the things here is that we talk about 40-60 because the US thinks about it this way. 
But most portfolios in Australia have been built 30-70, so 30% defensive, 70% growth. So I think that's where some confusion comes. But it's the same story. Everyone said the 40-60 is dead because long duration or fixed rate, fixed income produced a negative return in one year, where it's actually up significantly this year. So I'm always prognostications of the death of some sort of approach, which was never perfect anyway. I'm always wary of that. And then calls it the return of active management, that it's all about active given the volatility. When you go back, I'm not saying it's, as we've always said, one of the golden rules is yeah. active and passive, yep. that active isn't the solution to everything and passive isn't the solution to everything either. Mm-hmm. But that just because the conditions are more volatile means it'll benefit all active managers. I think that's always a a, a big caveat to have mm. against that. Um, it's a stock picker's market. Joe, don't you think? It's a stock picker's market. Isn't every market? <laughs> Spiva says it's not. <laughs> And then you're speed looking be, over your shoulder. Let's be clear. We use active and passive within portfolios. They have an important role for retirement, particularly for you know reducing volatility in retirement. But just because the conditions are more volatile doesn't mean it's going to be easier. It's actually harder. Yeah. Th- th- that's said, that said, some index funds can exhibit higher amounts of volatility. Yep. Why? And this is uh, taken out of context. People just take the first half of the sentence and then- Put that in a headline. Um, index funds can be more volatile, i.e. more risky, because they have momentum tendencies, meaning that they have a, a tendency to run hard at the wrong times. Um, and so this is like, uh, sure, you could say that about anything, but what that means is, and it's not how people think, Drew. Interestingly, like I'm going to put you on the spot here, so apologies. If someone comes to you and says, index funds have momentum qualities meaning that they tend to like benefit from momentum yeah and they say that's a negative what do you think they're referring to that more money the passive nature of index funds is that the bigger a company gets the higher share price goes up the more money it attracts and the higher weight it has to have in the index yeah I mean, and kathy wood was interviewed recently and said you know passive investing is the biggest misallocation of capital in the history of the earth <laughs> for that for that reason i don't think it's at that level yeah, she's great at marketing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but basically, you're saying that the bigger you get, the more money you get. And the same on the debt side, the more debt you have, the more money you get because you're the biggest uh, issuer of debt in mm. that in that index. So, uh, And that's why we'll always blend both because it's not perfect. But it is one of the only industries where you can get the average essentially for free. So I'll throw something else at you. <laughs> A big reason that index funds experience momentum is actually not in the companies. It's actually in the sectors. So you tend to see a lot of momentum trading in index funds when sectors are shifting. Yep. So when energy prices skyrocket, energy companies go up. And you tend to see momentum in sectors and weights rather than in individual names, which is something that a lot of people don't think about. So you tend to see at the top of the market, you tend to see things that are very cyclical at the top of the market. And the index funds are heavily exposed in that. So you end up with this kind of big drawdown. Um, but, and it, th- that could happen with any fund, but it's pronounced with index funds. Yeah. So uh, that's a really interesting thing. Whereas a lot of people think, oh, it's just the bigger companies getting bigger. It can actually be the sectors expanding, driving. Yeah, yeah. the cyclical sectors. And that's why they exhibit momentum as a whole. Similar to what you've seen like the Vanguard high yield, hmm. where it's reverse momentum, where the positive, you know, the great performance of materials and the dividends from last year get flowing to this year. And it's not always positioned for the next cycle. Yep. It takes a while to flow out. 
All right, I'll put you on the spot. Good. One final thing uh, before I get to some questions. We'll have a little bit of time for questions. Um, but one final thing is higher or lower this time next year, NVIDIA. NVIDIA, just going to punch this into Google here. NVIDIA is higher. NVIDIA is currently four to hundred and eleven dollars higher, one to ten percent higher. It has risen one hundred and sixty-four percent in twelve months. Two hundred percent this year. So you reckon oh, it'll be higher? So, so you reckon it will go? It's already a one trillion dollar company, Drew. It'll be higher. Hit that button. It's got a PE ratio of two hundred and thirteen. Watch that scale. Um. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Drew or Andrew? <laughs> Andrew. All right, Andrew. Yeah, be higher. <laughs> Andrew's just like, look at that ramp, man. It's going straight up. <laughs> well, there's every chance of you. I mean, it only has to be 1% higher. It's not like it has to double and be $2 trillion company next year. No, no. It's, it's the biggest winner in AI, in autonomous driving, in computing power, in cloud, in everything. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, let's move on. Time for some questions. Time for We're questions. nearly out of time. And um, we will be quick with these. Uh, so We have to be. Th thanks for these questions. Uh, we do receive your questions via the link in the show notes. show notes. It says, ask a question, select the Australian Investors Podcast, give us a funny name to go in the draw to win a value investor program. In the month of July, by the way, I am doing a four-part uh, value investor series over four webinars, lunch and learns, uh, where you can come and we'll be discussing things such as uh, ASX companies and how to actually go through financial statements and value businesses is really important in this uncertain environment. Uh, if we do answer your question, general advice only. These are the house rules because we do not know your financial situation. Be sure to speak to a financial planner uh, who is licensed to give you one-on-one -on -one advice and take into account your risk profile, your needs, your goals, and your objectives. Uh, and then you may consider acting on that information. Please do not act on this information because we simply do not know all of those things. Um, we even ask for an, anonymi an anonymized name so we don't know your situation again and just echo that. ETFing my way to freedom says, hello, hello, love the pod. Hope Andrew will get the RBA job. I am hearing rumors. <laughs> so what do you think is better in your opinions? Investing into platforms like Rask for ETFs or use a normal broker in brackets, Selfwealth or Perla or that. Oh, just so you know, ETFing my way to freedom, we don't actually, uh, we're not a broker. So... Um, I wasn't sure if he's talking about research and like yeah. going through stocks or do you, yeah, you, I'm sure self-wealth has some insights into them as well. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we provide research on ETFs uh, generally and uh, generally speaking, whereas a broker like Perler or self-wealth allows you to actually buy and sometimes inside those platforms, you'll see analyst ratings and that sort of stuff. Yeah. I would say that those analyst ratings aren't very good for ETFs, just yeah. flat out. They're not any good. You're going to go, to, you have to go to something like Rask or maybe to Morningstar or- Or it looks under the hood. Yeah. And actually look at the ETF and how it's constructed. Not uh, a, an analyst price target or analyst like that, um, but they may be good for stocks. I think Perla has some community data, which is quite interesting, but yeah, um, ETFs are a good thing to consider, but I would not be getting those price targets and those types of old style broking type research for ETFs. It just doesn't really work. Not at all. No. Um, next question comes from the guard dog of Glasgow who says, hey guys, I feel like we've had that before. I think so too. Yeah. Is that from a movie reference? I don't know. I might have to Google this while maybe if I can throw the answer to you while I Google it. <laughs> I see many analysts predicting, oh, here we go again. 
predicting an end to the current bull run on the S&P 500. This. Oh, this question. Oh, I hate God. this. Okay. I, I read this one earlier and I was like- The same oh. analyst that didn't predict the bull run <laughs> are now predicting the bull run to end. Predicting an end to the current bull run. How might one incorporate an ETF like BBUS, that's BBUS, is the ticket symbol, as a short-term position to hedge against anticipated losses? Any quantitative guidance on when to buy, sell, and how much? Many thanks, exclamation mark. Thank you, God Dog of Glasgow. I'm going to look that up while you tell us what the BBUS ETF is. Man, it seems crazy that analysts keep predicting that the market's going to, oh, yeah, the run's going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> or the same people that said it was going to stop wasn't going to happen as the same one's telling it's going to end. Uh, so I'm just like, why do we keep listening to them? And that kind of leads into the answer to the question, uh, which is why do you, why are you putting in a negatively correlated hedge to something you have very little certainty and you're basically guessing about? Uh, maybe that's too negative. But BBUS is essentially a reverse index of the S&P 500. Yeah, it's two times levered. Yeah, so two times levered, you get the inverse return of the S&P 500. So if the S&P is down- up. If it goes up 1%, you go down yeah, 2%. Exactly. Yeah, so leveraging everything. And you you mean some people have used it trading to trade for very short periods of time because they think the market's going to fall. I stupidly did that once and lost a significant amount <laughs> of capital in the process uh, and learnt my lesson probably the hard way. Not <laughs> maybe a, a little too quickly, uh, but the issue with these things is that they're leveraged, they're levered, and they have very high fees to have that leverage, and they're not there. They're not there to be used for an extended period of time, nor do most people use them for a short period of time because it is so uncertain. Yep. And I'd honestly only be using these if I had a really significant allocation to the S and P, like a big allocation to the S and P five hundred. And like kind most of, of my perfect. wealth was invested into it and I'd be using it to hedge a portion of that, not for small yeah. kind of, yeah. uh, you know, I've got part of my super funds invest in the US. I want to put a bit of hedging because I think I can tip it. That's something I'm trying to avoid completely. The, do the guard dog of Gaz Glasgow. What is the famous Glasgow dog it comes up with? Bobby's headstone reads, Grey Fry's Bobby died 14th century, January 1872, aged 16 years. Let his loyalty and devotion be a lesson to us all. Okay. Um, so it's, the story continues to be well known in Scotland through several books and films. There you go. A bit of depth to that one today. <laughs> so the US Equities Strong Bear Hedge Fund Currency Hedged, BBUS for short. BBUS uses derivatives, aka futures contracts. What happens? You buy the ETF, beta shares, buys the opposite contract, and presto. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> now, um, the problem is it's expensive to run. It's ineffective over the long term. People exactly. don't realize this. Uh, and if you held the long term, because stock markets on average go up, you would just be slowly- Losing money. <laughs> slowly, just ever so slowly losing money. Um, these are very risky products uh, because they add leverage and they go the opposite way to what we know works, which is the stock market. Yeah. So it's purely- Short term speculation. and a speculation. So these were invented because people were using things like CFDs and options and uh, short selling to try and protect some of their portfolio in a vicious downturn. And these were like, well, we can do that for you and you can put your money in an ETF and there's no liability. So it's not like you can just sell it and you're out. Whereas if you have some of those other contracts, you might not be able to get out. Like a CFD, you might add 
much more leverage than this and you end up owing that broker tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars because you don't have the collateral. Exactly. Whereas this effectively boxes all that up. Um, and a lot of people get confused because this is the this is a strong bear. Whenever you see strong bear, what that means is there's more than one-to-one ratio. Yep. So more than, um, say, like if the stock market goes up 1% and it goes down more than 1%, it would have to be like a strong bear. Yep. You can get strong bull and all those types of things as well. But uh, it's often called inverse overseas. Um, and the, the general principle is people don't understand why these things don't do what exactly what they're supposed to do. It's because the contracts inside the ETF roll at different rates. And so that adds costs, it adds fees. Um, and so the, the futures contracts that this thing buys don't exactly match the index that you see in front of you. Uh, and so you, it's still slippage. Tracking error. Yeah. And so these products, are, they're very, very, very risky. And that would be like, that's the, that's the product on the actual general thinking. Um, oh, man, how many times have we heard that? Market's going to fall. Market's going to fall. Honestly. Fear and greed. They're the two most powerful marketing tools. <laughs> yeah. That and urgency. Chuck some urgency in there and boom. Exactly. It's going to happen soon. <laughs> Don't- uh, I have to say you're better off not deploying money yeah, or reducing, if you're worried, reduce your S&P exposure, change your asset allocation, look at it from a higher level rather than alloc- adding additional risk to your portfolio in what's already a risky asset. There is one good thing about the strong variety of these. It's like if you go to the bar and you, you're purposely wanting to get drunk. <laughs> drink the strongest drink for the the same price yeah, and you will get drunk quicker, right? At the martini. Yes, exactly. If it's the same price as the light beer, super crisp, really good, by the way, drink responsibly. Um, so it, if it's the same thing, get the one that's stronger because- You have to buy less of it. You have to buy less <laughs> of it. And this is the thing. So if it's two times inverse, you're better off using a smaller portion of that than the one times, which is a bigger portion. It, sa- it sounds rudimentary, but people still use the bears, even though the strong bears exist. Yeah. Um, What's well, the whole, whole idea of a hedge is that if you're going to use a hedge, whether that's gold, whether it's crypto that a lot of people bonds. use or something else, that you have to make sure that hedge is significant. Yeah. The benefit, as you're saying, of lever, levering is that instead of just having one times, you get two or three. So you can put one third, two thirds less capital into it and get the same impact. Yeah, exactly. But that means it's... Three times as leverage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, so, um, so just keep that in mind. But that's, yeah, I would say avoid. Um, worried Wonder Woman says, uh, Wonder Woman one day, worried woman the next. Hey, Owen. And Andrew should say. Notice how more are addressed to Andrew than Drew. Actually, uh, Andrew gets more than the two of us put together. Uh, hey, Owen. If the US goes into recession, how will that affect my NASDAQ 100 ETF? Hold or bail? So this is the same question. In a different- It's probably a better quality question because it's more focused around like, what can I do rather than I think this is going to happen. What do you think of this thing? Um, not to say that either of them are bad. Keep sending them in, but um, this, I like this question the way it is going. What do you think? Well, there's multiple ways to unpack this question. I'll unpack it as unprecedented. As cool as well. I just made up a word. <laughs> yeah, what was that uh, one? As cool. Uh, and I think- <laughs> What? Recession is just the latest <laughs> word in the media at the moment. It's, like, it's on inflation every, was six months inflation, ago. Inflation, now it's recession. They're all bad for investing. Everything's bad for investing, essentially. There's always enough reasons yeah. to sell everything out today, but there's never enough reasons to buy back in. And that's what yeah. the mistake always is, that it's easy to sell. It's incredibly difficult to buy because you always wait for the market to settle 
And all the data shows that you end up selling at the bottom and buying halfway back up and missing out that whole benefit of compounding. So I think personally, I think it's a, yeah, it's a, it's the latest issue, but it's just part of a normal business cycle. And as history has shown over long, long periods of time, staying invested, whether it's this part of the business cycle or next, and whether it's the ability to dollar cost average and actually consistently buy in the next six or 12 months during a recession, that's where the long-term benefit comes from, not trying to time and assume what's going to happen to the economy. But also what we spoke about in the beginning was that the NASDAQ, if anything, is no representation of the economy whatsoever. Like the biggest tech companies in the world are getting spending and you saw in the last quarter, their earnings and sales are growing. NVIDIA, the perfect example, they upgraded their sales revenue expectation by like 40% in a, heading into a recessionary environment. So NASDAQ does not represent the economy and wary of trying to change portfolios on a very short-term basis because the market looks through recessions. Yeah, good one. You could say that's why the market fell so much last year. Yeah, that's exactly right because the market was trying to predict. There's a belief, a pretty tenuous belief that... Um, markets are pretty good at pricing in what happens in the next year. Meaning that if you think about it, everyone kind of invests knowing that they're investing for the next year or so. Yeah. Anything after that gets a bit, the market's not very good. But um, in the next year, you could kind of predict that interest rates and inflation were going up. And then in the next year, you could kind of predict, at least this was a kind of consensus. Maybe um, Dr. Andrew Derrimuth <laughs> was a bit ahead of the um, queue here. But um, you could kind of predict that inflation would have to come down because there was so much debt in the system. Exactly. So when you think about it, um, the stock market has apologized for a bit of the excess. There's still pockets of excess, of course, and things could get worse before they get better. But they could actually get better, slowly get better. Um, So I would just say be mindful and always just ensure you've got that diversified portfolio. I don't I think even if a recession comes I'll still be I'd love to still be investing and I think it just comes back to your personal finances and your situation. Yeah. Make sure you're employed, make sure you've got your income, make sure you've got those assets that aren't doing anything right now because you might need them in the future. Okay, so we've got maybe time for a couple more here, Drew. We've got uh, Bluey and Bingo writes in. It says I'm earning 150,000 clams plus and likely to increase over time as a doctor. My sibling, brother or sister perhaps, is earning $50,000 and not likely to increase in the foreseeable future. They want to financially support their par- uh, their friend here, sorry, their sibling, not their partner or their friend. Could be a friend, I guess, maybe even a partner, who knows. Um, what are the best ways to provide financial support for from, from a relationship and tax-effective perspective in the long run? There seem to be a lot of options for spouses and children, but not for siblings. I think there's one solution that's quite straightforward, which going straight to the solution, if I might say so. Which is? A trust. Yeah. Uh, streaming income in a trust. Yeah. Yeah. There's tax implications. There's cost implications. There's a whole heap of other implications. But- um, You can only do it for passive income. Yeah. 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 That would be the only real solution that you that you talk about. There's no tax effective way to- Pass money pass to Pass someone. money to, to your sibling. You'd have to pay, you have to be from after tax income. Uh, I mean, we've talked about it on the finance podcast all the time. It's how do you how do you find what their purpose is and and help get them whether regardless mm. of what salary they're earning, how do you get them on the right track and and asking the same questions that you are? Yeah, you know, one of my big marketing pitches just shamelessly plug plug our roadshow here. Um, one of our big motivations for running those uh, is that you can bring your friend or family member who is not interested in finance yep. to an event that they probably don't know is about finance. Yeah. 
and they can have a drink, they can sit down, have a laugh, smile, and just see that there's a whole room full of people in their city that want to talk about this crap. And they're like, oh, I thought this was just for, you know, people that talked about it in the closet and whatever. And you can bring them along and you can introduce them. And like Drew was just saying, um, finding what they're interested in and getting them in, interested in this idea of investing, saving, investing in themselves and their careers. I think one of the worst things that could happen here is they get intimidated and they don't see you as relatable as yep. someone who earns a lot more than them, which is a very real thing. And people do that both financially. They also get intimidated if someone is intellectually superior to them or if there's some other thing that they've, maybe there's some embedded jealousy or something like that. So just be mindful of those things. Um, and just try and find what is interesting to them. Uh, there are certain rules. A lot of doctors end up as consultants and these types of things. There are certain rules you should be aware of. So speak to a financial planner like say Drew here or whoever um, that result around uh, professional services, income and company structures and a few things where you can end up in a bit of a mess. So just make sure you get the advice if you do go ahead and set up any type of structure because there are some rules around that from the ATO and elsewhere. Um, there are plenty of things to do. Anything else you want to add to this one, Drew? No, I think that was it. I think it's, yeah, the, the trust is the only option and how do you educate them as much as, as yourself and find their, their passion as well. Sweet. Okay. Maybe we've got time for two more. I said that. I said a couple last time. But who's kidding? Okay. So <clears throat> asking for a friend's friend's auntie's cousin's son. Not personal advice, just opinions. Well, unfortunately, opinion can be personalized. But good point. It is general in nature. Early 30s, married, young family. Okay, they're giving us a lot of information here. I'm just going to cut straight through to the next things. Recently set up a discretionary trust in company structure for income distribution and liability protection benefits. What is, those are their words. What are some of the considerations about investing through a trust structure? Currently, transitioning current investments into a trust would incur tax, but don't want to break the compounding train on the portfolio either. So we're not going to give you any type of personal advice. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about trusts generally um, and just the, them as a strategy because we just mentioned them. It might be worth just paying some lip service, Drew. Yeah, of course. What do you reckon? It's a tough one. It is a tough one. And I think it's... Uh, I think there are limitations uh, to using a trust. And you're just delaying the payment of tax, essentially, particularly or, if you've got a corporate beneficiary it. or redirecting it for a period of time. Yep. But you're also creating future issues with that as well if you're not paying the cash out associated with it. So um, I think there's a way... I mean, the one thing you'd say is to start... To adding new money rather than trying to transfer it all and realize that capital gain. I think you're also, you're not ending the compounding train, you're just resetting it. Yeah. And if you're going to keep investing this way, but you want it in a more tax effective environment, then maybe it's good to reset it now yeah. and building it in that in that environment, depending on what your future looks like. Um, I'd also be, you could, an option would be to selectively transfer those assets into the trust over time. I'm not sure they're not all performing incredibly well at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so it may be that there's different years where you can transfer the ones with a loss and make sure you're at a Ca you know, a neutral capital gain or loss position each year. Having and, assets and think about it like that. I think it's great. I was about to say, having assets in a trust can actually have advantages you don't think of. For example, imagine young uh, Bethany and Charlie grow up and they're 22 years of age and you want to help them get into the property market and you're not sure, you don't want them to use their first home buyer, so you, you know, scheme and all this stuff. So you, you might think, well, maybe we can use the family trust and we can think of ways to help them 
experience what it's like to go through the property project and work on that with them. And there's some things that people don't realize that can be done with trust down the line. So not pushing them one way or the other, but um, there's that. And then there's family situations. Everything's as well. got to draw back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're, you're, you're spot on there. Everything does have a drawback. Um, but you've also got to take into account like your income tax and your earnings capacity, family environment, because you might end up in a situation where um, one works and one doesn't. Yeah. So get financial advice on this because this is actually this type of structuring stuff is where financial advisors can add a lot of value. Uh, speaking of financial advice, hopefully yours says, what an alluring name. <laughs> says, can I hire Waddle Partners if I live in Sydney, retired, own a modest home, $1 million in assets, small. What does CSS mean? Uh, Commonwealth Super Scheme pension. Okay. So like a defined benefit pension usually. Uh, and dividends and capital gains, et cetera. So yeah. got a million bucks, modest home, live in Sydney, retired, um, bit of a pension. What do you reckon, Drew? Can they hire water partners? Yeah, so this is a question we got at the ASA that we completely forgot to answer telling you how good we are at marketing our business. <laughs> <laughs> we, as you picked up, we're retirement advisors, so we deal with everyone in retirement. Most of our clients are generally, you know, a, a million to three, four, five million in, in superannuation and looking for consistent income. Mm -hmm. uh, we have an office in Sydney, so in York Street in Sydney, yep, but 80% of our clients, yeah, you've every filming you do is <laughs> up there at the moment. Yeah. Uh, an office in the city, but we I say 75% of our clients are lie outside of Melbourne. So we've got Nullumboy. We have clients. Oh, really? We do. NT? Uh, Cape Gloucester it's up in yep uh, Perth. So we're constantly traveling and visiting every capital city. So we're not like the roadshow. Yeah. <laughs> a couple in Newey, a couple of clients oh, really? in Newcastle as well. Uh, say good day to Barry. Barry. Um, but yeah, we travel all around. Most of our clients are uh, uh, interstate due to the nature of our business originally came from a newsletter, similar to yeah. your podcast. Uh, so, yeah, travel regularly and we could do a lot of um, start. We like to meet people in person, at least in the first 12 months. Uh, and then we can do a lot of virtual and we deliver everything online like most groups. Yeah, cool. That's great. Um, okay. So, uh, uh, oh, here we go. Here's a question for me that on our service. Blue says, hi, I just bought a ticket to the Rast Roadshow at, uh, at Sydney, but the ticket doesn't have Sydney on it. Should I be worried? <laughs> uh, no, don't be worried because we've recorded your anyone that goes through our checkout process. It may not say Sydney on the ticket. It's just if you we we use your email address as the verification when you arrive, um, and we just check that it's all gone through. But um, yeah, it, the best thing to do when you purchase your Rast Roadshow tickets, by the way, is when you go through the checkout, you will be prompted to add the uh, the details to your calendar it just says like add this to your calendar that's the best way to do it we will email everyone ahead of the events no matter where you're coming from or where you're going to you will get an email uh in the week leading up to it so we will remind you and you remember hey you remember that thing you bought two months ago well it's happening now so we'll see you in a couple of days <laughs> um but drew we've got two more things to do one is a joke the Ooh, first yeah, one right. is i think you picked the question last week so i think maybe i'll go with it this week i did like the deep and meaningful reference from the guard dog of Glasgow, um, second return. But I actually might go with the um, and Bingo and Bluey is a good one too. I like the name, yeah, yeah. But I might actually go with Worried Wonder Woman for the alliteration. Worried Wonder Woman. Uh, you asked about the Nasdaq 100 ETF, and you should hold or bail. I think that's a good one. Hold or bail. We shouldn't. We should lampoon the word sell on the show, and just should, should I bail this? <laughs> Um, or bail from this. Um, if you are 
worried Wonder Woman, send us a message, send me a message on Twitter or on Instagram. We'll hook you up with the Value Investor Program for free, normally $4.99, uh, running the four webinars in July. Uh, you can find that on the Rask Education website. But uh, Andrew slash Drew, we do have to go through uh, a joke with you. You did try a few on with me prior to the show kicking <laughs> off, which I was very grateful for. Not all PC. Not all PC. There are only certain things that can be aired. But maybe if we just recap real quickly some of the things that we did say, just so everyone can hold us seriously accountable to this. The best themes for 2024, <laughs> you said small cap global. Global small caps, yeah. I said quality global. S countries, you said India. I said Aussie small caps. Is that a bit of like a- Double up? Yeah. yeah. Um, I said country, you said small cap. <laughs> yeah, and I said, well, I was even more like, no, nah, not just Australia, mate. We're going small caps. But I actually think that, that legit. You also said what to watch for in the second half, floating rates, unlisted valuations, the return of active, 60-40, 40-60 being dead, um, value versus growth. Basically, what you're saying is these are the things that people have always saying, but these are the things you should be- Wary of. Wary of, yeah. Um, the cost of advice should be coming down. Uh, and, you know, I think just generally one of the gists is that um, it's actually a pretty good time to invest. And don't, please ignore predictions. <laughs> please, please ignore. Apart from Andrew Dermott. Apart <laughs> from Andrew Dermott. Yeah. Um, it, well, when we catch up next week, I'm sure we'll have another some data point to chew on for a little while. But, mate, you've got to sail us off into the sunset with a bit of a joke. So, oh, by the way, um, Andrew has promised an appearance at the events, and he will be sharing multiple of these jokes with us. Uh, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Good times. Go for it. What do you call a mouse that swears? Cheese. A cursor. I don't get it. The mouse on your computer? Yeah. It's a cursor? All right, Russell swear it. I'm a bit so slight. I hope you enjoyed this episode. <laughs> <laughs> hey, separate news. Dad jokes will always continue. KKR, CEOs of KKR. Yes. Spoke to Nick Cummings from Intelligent Investor last night. It's a bunch of Australia. Thank you very much. Um, he said the two CEOs of KKR have been paid $650 million each over the past three years. In performance. Yeah, some bonuses in there. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? Credit to them. <laughs> Credit to them. That's a great joke, mate. I'll give you... Um, I'll probably use that tonight because I haven't used a mouse in ages with a curse. <laughs> exactly. Is the curse of the little thing yeah, in the middle? Yeah. I haven't yeah. used one of them in a long time. Uh, anyway, uh, you can find out more about Drew and the team at Waddle Partners. You can get their next quarterly review if you become a customer like that. Uh, hopefully, yours said. Um, you can head to waddlepartners.com.au slash contact. It's also available in your show notes. There is a type form you can fill in and it goes direct to the team. You can find out more about Rask by going to rask.com.au. Uh, also, if you are interested in the Roadshow, R-A-S-K, Roadshow, slap that one into Google. Bob's your uncle, Kevin's your sister. Go and check that out and we'll see you on the road. Bye for now. Good to see you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Before you go, I wanted to share some things with you. Specifically, I wanted to tell you about the 10 ways that RASC could help you in 2024. 
As many of you know, Rask has grown to become one of the biggest investing and finance platforms in Australia. Across our podcasts, our websites, our memberships, and so on, we now engage around 200,000 Aussies, which considering we started in a humble lounge room on a Kmart desk, one of those old fake white wooden ones, I'm pretty ecstatic about where we are six years later. As part of becoming one of Australia's biggest platforms for wealth creation and preservation, we now have a very special position in the country in that we can bring you some of the best, most thoughtful, expert-driven ways to protect and grow your wealth. And I'm going to share some of those with you now. I've got 10 ways that we can potentially help you or match you with someone who can. The first thing that I want to tell you about is the biggest step we've ever taken at Rask, which is the launch of our Rask Invest platform. This is a platform that lets our team, led by me, invest for you, primarily through low-cost, diversified ETFs. We'll have three strategies at launch, and every investor who comes through can pick one of the three strategies being a balanced strategy, a growth strategy, and a high-growth strategy. The balanced strategy focuses on passive income, and the high-growth strategy focuses on longer-term compounding. You will find a link in your podcast player to register your interest. We will be taking off soon. Number two, if you prefer to DIY your investing, you can join me and over 4,000 members inside Rascore. That's our full ETF and ASX share research membership community. You can join now and you'll get updated ETF portfolio recommendations every quarter, as well as ongoing ASX and global stock research. Every single month, we call them the all-star stocks. You get that alongside the ETF portfolios, as well as other members-only content. It's called Rascore. Number three, our first ever partnership with a business other than our own was a business by the name of Blusk, which has since become Flint Group. Flint Group is led by Chris Bates and Christian Stevens, two of Australia's most highly regarded mortgage brokers. Already over 200 RAS community members have begun the RASC plus Flint Group mortgage broking process. You can click the link in your podcast player if you're refinancing, investing, a first home buyer, or whatever. You've probably heard Chris on the show many times. Number four, you can connect with our most trusted financial advisors. Whether you're 25 years old, just graduated uni and looking to set yourself up or approaching or in retirement and you've got that nest egg you want to protect and generate a passive income from, you can get in contact with our trusted panel of financial advisors. You can find the link in your podcast player. It's there each and every week. Just click the thing that says financial planning. Number five, if you want specialist insurance advice, as Warren Buffett said, rule number one is don't lose money. And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. Insurance is vitally important, especially when it comes to your number one asset, you. Whether you're a single income household or a couple and you just want to protect what would happen if. You want to protect your family if something goes wrong. You want to protect your spouse if you lose your job. You want to protect yourself if you hurt yourself on the weekend at footy. Insurance is a way to do that. And I think the best way to do insurance is through a financial planner. And there's a few reasons for that. But one of them is sometimes 
Some insurers will only work with financial advisors, but they can also be your companion as you go through the sometimes daunting process of getting insurance done properly. Sometimes you might not even know, but you're not even covered, even though you think you are. So get the right advice. You'll find a link in the show notes to check that out. Number six, buying property. If you're like me and you're thinking of buying property in the next 12 months, or maybe you've already invested and you're looking to downsize, getting the right advice and being able to build wealth through property is a proven strategy. It might be one of the most contentious, but I think that we have one of Australia's best property coaches in our ranks. That is Pete Wargent. Pete is the host of the now super popular Australian property podcast by Rask, and he's also my analyst team's macro consultant. So if you're a member of Rascor, you will have seen Pete's name around the traps. He's a property coach and buyer's agent, and he works with a select number of people each and every year. Just a note on this. This is not a commercial thing with Pete. Pete just has great services, so we offer them to the community. And when he fills up, he fills up. You can find out more about Pete's coaching in the show notes. Next up, tracking your portfolio for tax. I think you are because I think you have to. So we've partnered with Nevexa to help you manage your share and ETF reporting, whether it's tax or performance. All Rask users get 20% off an annual plan with Nevexa. You can sync your portfolio with Nevexa's software and it automatically tracks your dividends, your capital gains tax, and more. Again, not a commercial partnership. We don't make anything from working with Nevexa, but they do create some great tools which the Rask community uses each and every day. Number eight, want to run your own business? Maybe you already do. If you want more profit, but less stress, less time consumed, and less energy lost, get in contact. We have a partner business called Inflection. The Inflection Accelerator Program is a complete online course that helps you and a community of members engage and follow a proven strategy for growing your business. I'm grateful to be one of the coaches inside the Accelerator program, helping business owners right across Australia. You can find more following the link in your podcast player. It's the one that says coaching. Number nine, if you haven't already checked it out, join over 20,000 other people who tune into the Rask YouTube channel. It is completely free and you get notified when we go live and when we publish podcast episodes. There is a podcast on the Rask network each and every day, as well as bite-sized material that's less than 60 seconds or those really punchy tutorials and webinars that are just 15 minutes that take you through a really exciting topic, whether it's how to buy a property, whether it's how to pick a dividend ETF. Some of our most popular content actually just explains things like, what the heck is franking credits and how do I calculate if I've got some? That's on our YouTube channel. Number 10, if you want to be a better investor, a saver, a better partner with money, or just understand your own relationship with money, you can do that all of that by going to the Rask Education website and taking a free course. We've enrolled over 26,000 students at the time of this recording, and we're on a mission to get to 100,000 in the next few years. Rask Education is our mostly free education platform covering everything from budgeting and automation to the probably, I would say, the best value investing program in the country. So whether you're a value investor, an intermediate investor, you want to know how to value Woolworth shares, or you simply just want to understand what ethical investing is or buy your first property and what actually happens on settlement day, head to the Rask Education website and enroll in something today. It is free and it supports us. 
because then I can come on here next month and I can say we've got 27,000. And hopefully we reach critical mass where we can help more Australians manage their money better. Thank you for listening to this long-winded ad. If you want to get in contact with me, you know where to go. There's a link in your show notes. Basically, these 10 services, even though some of them we don't make any money from, support RASC and allow us to produce these podcasts, attract the biggest and best guests from Australia and around the world, and bring them to you to answer your questions. Thank you for being part of the RASC network, and thank you for your ongoing support. Bye for now.